Hello and welcome to our little podcast. So we're watching the top 100 IMDb movies as of now-ish, 2019. And tonight we watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So Dan, do you want to give me some of your opening thoughts? Yeah, well, I think this might be one of the 100 best movies of all time after watching it. This is the fourth time I've seen it and darn near ready to watch it again. I like it a lot. Easily the best animated movie or my favorite animated movie and certainly top five for me personally right now. I, I mean I love this movie. That's my that's my opening thoughts. Yeah I'm super grateful that Sony gave some of the Marvel rights for Spider-Man up or Marvel gave it to them. I'm not sure what the legal setup is, but I'm glad the mishmash happened. Yeah. The legal setup was that Sony had the rights, and then Disney is a monopoly ty- tyrant, and they you know, made this movie in the good times. Then there were some dark times. Tom Holland's movies, where those were up in air, and they agreed to at least one more, I think, one more you know, Avengers universe appearance because Tom Holland Spider-Man is an Avenger uh, within the MCU. So that's that's what's up. This is this is made in the good times. Well I'm glad for the good times. Me too. I'm very glad for the good times. Speaking of the good times and the bad times, the the movie opens up with the recurring bit of let's do this one more time and you get a quick rundown of that particular Spider-Man's backstory. And this is a, a fantastic bit throughout the movie. And in this first one, where we're meeting the primary universe Spider-Man who dies immediately, they reference the dark times of Spider-Man 3, <laughs> which is a really good reference. The movie's so full of references, and I love them all. And the the conga, you know, salsa dance from emo Peter Parker is a really funny start and kind of sets the, the whole tone, you know, just super referential, really funny, really awesomely animated. Oh yeah, not even the animation is so unique and it fits together so well. I love the comic book kind of style of it and it's just so colorful and bright and visually interesting and not just the visuals, the soundtrack of this entire thing is just banging. I love every song that plays. There is not a single one that I would say no. I don't want to listen to that. That doesn't fit this scene. It's just so good. Yeah, I agree. I also wrote down how, A, the opening credit music, it's super energetic, and then slash all music. Because, again, every every song is a bop, including the one during Miles' intro, which is Sunflower, which is a major bop. I, I love that song. Bop, bop, bop. Yeah. I think one thing this movie does amazingly is character intros, like, as a whole. Every character that shows up, whether it's a main character or a Spider-Man or a villain has a quick line or you know quick one-off note that solidifies them as super distinct all of the spider-man obviously have theirs and sunflower is a great intro for miles it's like super laid back and all that but then you have a character like to to jump ahead like uh, octavius who when you hear her name it's like oh shit like even the fourth time seeing it, it's like oh what a reveal you know the character intros in this movie are phenomenal. This this entire recording is 
mostly going to be about how much we love this movie. Yeah, I'm going to come up with some nitpicks, I think, to knock a score down or whatever, but the whole thing. We'll see. I have a hard time thinking of bad stuff. It's just praises of (laughs) Spider-Man. I do have one question to like move forward. So you meet Miles. He thinks Sunflower is going to school or whatever, and he's infatuated with his... Un- like, is infatuated the okay word to use for your uncle? Like, mm-hmm. idolize? Oh, uh, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> he's, he's got a real tsundere crush on no. Uncle Aaron. <laughs> but he's idolizes his uncle, and it goes... And you learn early on that his dad doesn't care for his uncle all that much. Uh, in the police ride over to his Visions Academy, uh, Miles says Uncle Aaron's a good guy, and his dad says, uh, people make their own choices. What I am not sure of, and I'm leaning towards that yes he knows, but does does Miles' dad know that his brother is this supervillain hitman thing? I think he does, because when he... We jump ahead so much. When he finds the body, he doesn't seem that surprised about the costume. Yeah, he's not like, what is all this shit? You know, you're wearing claws. Yeah. yeah. All claws on all paws. <laughs> That's that's what I was thinking too. I feel like they set up his dad as such a righteous dude. I mean, he points out in the beginning, some cops run red lights, but not me. Like, he won't even run a red light. I run red lights all the time. Yeah, right? I mean, they're yellow when you get into the intersection. Well, don't give me up. I was making a joke. Now you're laying down the truth. He <laughs> uh, <laughs> won't even run a red light. And then, if he knew that his brother was a murdering hitman... He'd probably go get him. He some, might. Some he might not ta- be able to. Something to talk about later. Well, no. That's, that's the whole point about talking about it. Okay. We're going to talk about it on the next episode. Spider-Man no. Into the Universe Part 2. Oh, man. 2021. I'm excited for the sequel. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited. Okay, so if we're talking about it, then I say that he did not know specifically because... He would have done something about it had he known. So Why? I think it's an inconsistency that he shows up and sees this dude's crazy outfit and doesn't cons- doesn't react. In superhero movies, why don't the cops just get the bad guys all the time? Why don't they just immediately have them arrested? Obviously because they can't. They're too uh, powerful. They're <laughs> don't too, sigh they're, at me. They're too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron is too powerful. He is. The Prowler would kick the shit out of Miles' dad. And Miles, when he chases him out of the uh, the subway, he should have caught him immediately. He should have caught him, but he couldn't. But he had his, you know, dramatic standing there moment. Like, Miles is stuck to the ceiling, trying to break down after dodging the train. And uh, Aaron just stands there and looks at him. This is jumping ahead of the spray paint scene, which I think is also yeah. a very good scene. Well, to be fair, you're the one that skipped ahead first. Yeah. Yeah, but I had a really good point. I had a really good point to make. Just right here behind you. (laughs) So I think it's important to talk about for Miles' characterization, him going to school and how much his dad loves him, obviously. That's Uh a very huge point throughout the entire movie. And the scene where he's just walking by his old classmates and the juxtaposition to seeing how he is at the new school. Yeah. And isolation is just such a huge theme through this movie. Right. Because he, he's isolating himself from his parents, essentially, like rejecting their love. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, typical teenager stuff. 
Which makes it like community from Spider-Man and the multiple Spider-Man so much more potent later on. Fucking phenomenal. I feel like just the whole sequence from going to school, running into Gwen, and then after that, uh, abandoning like he's out of place. Was that the order that it goes in? Runs into Gwen, abandons he's out of place, runs into fucking, runs into, when does he go to Aaron's place and start spray painting? Because I want to talk about that scene because that's the one that kicks off everything IMO. When they, they go to Brooklyn. So if you have any key thoughts prior to the spray painting. No, um, I just wrote down that I never had to read Great Expectations. And that's the most important thought that I had. Me neither. I feel like anybody can make up any required reading list in high school. As long as it's old and be like, haha, right? <laughs> required reading. It's like, yeah, I guess. I didn't read fucking Great Expectations. I didn't read Catcher in the Rye either. Me, yeah, I didn't have to read Catcher in the Rye. I feel like I missed out. It's not too late. Oh, Could no. also read Great Expectations. Or probably just watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure that there are very reoccurring themes. Yeah, I wonder how how many in-jokes we missed out on because we did not read Great Expectations. <laughs> Feels like this is the type of movie that would be like, hey, remember that scene in Great Expectations when... Uh, what what do they do? I uh, have no clue. It's a bunch of, it seems like English poppers, you know. We'll look it up. Is it by Charles Dickens? Yes. Let's just Is say it? yes. Okay. It's probably about... It's probably about chimney sweeps. The ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> I think it's about chimney sweeps. Um, so they run to... I was excited about the spray paint scene because I know it's one detail, which is another, you know, feather in the cap. Where it's like, damn, this movie is so good. When you're watching the spider that is going to bite Miles and give him his powers walk around and descend into the, the spray paint scene, there's a part where he's walking over like a pink spray paint cap and he turns pink onto the main cap and he turns to the color of the main spray can. How many how many small things like that where they're like, oh, well, the spider's got to change colors. We'd, we'd want them to see it, but we also want them to, we want them, the audience, to see the spider but we also want to put detail and care into the spider to have it show like what it what it's about, how it was made, how it works in its environment, all that kind of stuff. Really love it. This is another scene with great music. You know, like you said earlier, yeah. all the music throughout. Super phenomenal. But yeah, what's next? Well, it's another visual thing, but I love the comic book thoughts. I really like the energy that they put in this movie. It's super different from any other comic book movie I've seen because they don't have the benefits of animation, but they're really leaning into it and they're using the medium to their best advantage. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. It's just a small touch that improves the experience. Yeah, I agree. That whole sequence where he's freaking out really leans into that aesthetic super well and very effectively. This also leans into... When each spider is introduced, and eventually near the climax, when it just slaps down the comic in the cutaway, when they do the one more time gimmick, which has a comic book cover, it ties into whatever in this particular one when it says the two Spider-Men, and it's got like a really stylish comic book cover. Just the amount of effort that goes into that one thing that disappears in two seconds, you know, uh, it's it's phenomenal attention to detail. Yeah, even all the throwaway background stuff, like the 42 being reoccurring. I was kind of watching for it, and you would see other numbers throughout the movie, and they'd be like, what does that mean? 
but I don't know if it always means anything, and I only caught about three 42s throughout the entire movie. I probably stopped looking for them and oh, just started man. enjoying the film. Yeah, I quit. I'd never looked for them. There's so many Easter eggs throughout this yeah. entire thing. Need to go to the IMDb trivia section. So after this, Spray Paint freaks out, goes back to the subway tunnel to calm his nerves... And this leads into another thing that leans into the comic book aesthetics, comic book aesthetic so well. When you learn about how his spidey sense works, they put the detail in now so they can just take a shortcut later in that he's standing in front of where the battle is and the whole window says look out. And that's the internal monologue. Afterwards, it just shows the squiggly lines around their head for the spidey sense. But this time, it really puts a visualization like how would it be? Such a weird concept that's easily told to people like reading a comic where it says, oh, he sensed danger. Like, what what the hell does that mean? But to have it impact your whole environment with a lookout or the quiet before the storm sort of thing just prior to the Green Goblin fight. Yeah. And the Green Goblin fight. I really love this version of the Green Goblin. I something about it is so weird and they turned this character who is super recognizable at least to a mainstream audience and turned him into this big giant monster and they completely changed him so that you as the audience member at least hopefully would recognize that hey this isn't the big baddie mm-hmm. he's big but he's not the main baddie right and typically I mean in the in the other spider the Rami Malik ones he was Rami Malik uh is that the actor from Sam Raimi I think oh. everything messed up. Too no. many similar Damn. sounding. <laughs> I would love a Raimi Malik <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah. Just good. looking all squirrely at the camera. Giving an internal yeah. monologue. We'll fix that in post. <laughs> there is no post. <laughs> so, yeah. I wrote down also that I loved all of the villains. Like, every villain that shows up is so unique and so cool. After we saw this in theaters the first time... I went to my coworker and I said, oh, I, I had a very similar thought about Green Goblin. It was this crazy demon thing. And my coworker was like, that's the Marvel Ultimate version of Green Goblin. Like, that's what he looks like in the, the Ultimate comics. I'm like, okay, shit. Well, he's not the main one, you know. That's something that I think a big comic book fan like he is would appreciate. And then you and I are just like, oh shit, what is what is going on there? You know, what a crazy design. That whole fight is really cool because it shows the main Spider-Man doing his thing. And he's so carefree and funny. But it also shows when he puts his hand up to stop the super collider spinning around him. It's just like, this dude's really powerful. That's a real superhero right there. So, big fan of that, that whole sequence. Speaking of... Well, this would be jumping out, so we'll get to it. Some things that shows that the movie really hones in on what the character of Spider-Man is about when Spider-Man is, like, on his deathbed, essentially. Like, I, I always just kind of assume that his back is broken when he's lying there after the super collider blows up and kind of brings the event together where all the Spider-Man gets sucked in to the other dimensions and everything. Spider-Man, A, he says... I always get up to Miles Morales to kind of give him the sense of sense of ease, you know, put him at, put him at ease. And also when he gets his mask pulled off, he's like, that's a no-no. So this guy can be completely immovable uh, or completely immobile 
and totally fucked, but still really calming, reassuring, and uh, funny. I don't really have anything else to add about that whole sequence. Oh. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Prowler's music. I feel like when we saw this in theaters, they had it mixed differently. Because I remember it being way too jarring. I hate the Prowler's music. Yeah. There's a nitpick. That weird... It's intense. <laughs> it, it gets you to recognize like, oh shit. So I was pretty happy. Uh, when he died, so we wouldn't have to hear that anymore. Did you, Christ, I hate the noises you make. Did you think that he made those noises, like, with his mouth? <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was his theme until, like, the third time I watched it. So every time I saw him, I just assumed that he was, like, growling or something. And I'm like, this is kind of lame for him to do. He just growls every time he stands in front of him. Uh, I did not think that. That's really funny. You knew it was music the whole time? I figured it was a theme. Oh, damn. Well, that's cool. Me too. Forget all that stuff I said <laughs> before. Oh, man. But the it being too jarring is like probably the point. Yeah. the every, Everything that the Prowler's involved in is very cool because he he's just so like everything in the movie, but particularly him. He's so fluid, but also super powered. He's got this crazy tech suit that really shows this phenomenal sense of movement. And all the fight scenes and chase scenes with him are super exciting to watch. So, again, as far as character designs, he's got this purple purple mechanical theme. And it's just really fucking awesome to see him run around and do his, do his hunting thing. And then, not too far after the Prowler's introduction is Peter B. Parker, who is voiced by Jake Johnson. Yeah. Who is an absolute amazing human being. I <laughs> I love Jake Johnson. Yeah, New Girl was good. New Girl was so good. It, Safety Not Guaranteed was so good. He was in that? Yeah, is yeah, that yeah. The he time was like a reporter. One? He was the time travel guy? No, that was the guy from Creep. Creep was good. Creep was super good. That's yeah. another podcast. So Peter B. Parker shows up. Great intro. Exits very sad man he is. Right. Which is also cool. I I guess I never really considered I always thought, oh, he's sad, but he is really pulled out of his universe at the moment of, you know, greatest despair, essentially. He was eating a pizza, so he was probably kind of okay with that <laughs> Yeah, you could you could be breaking my knees as long as I have a pizza. The introduction of him is is great, the whole the whole train sequence, good attention to detail. Whenever I see the grave for Peter B. Parker's looking at Peter Parker's grave, I always think, how many Easter eggs am I missing? There must be a lot. How many what? Easter eggs am I missing? Oh, yeah. You know, there must be a lot around the grave. Probably. I, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> That's not this podcast. The Easter egg hunters. We could be, but we'd have to watch 15 other YouTube videos and not come up yeah. with anything new. Just read, re-summarize everything that's already been said. Like we're doing now? <laughs> yeah. All right, what what other key stuff? Um, Besides how amazing Jake Johnson is? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's most. I, I don't have anything else, like, super key throughout the entire being chased around while connected to a subway part. I thought that was super interesting. So we can kind of yada, yada, yada. We can probably yada, yada through that. Though they, it was really cool to watch. You know, they get they get the denial of the call to action and then the acceptance of the call to action all at once. 
And then they show up at the labs where uh, Dr. Octavius works. And that's, like I said earlier, one of my favorite reveals of the movie. Because we all had to re-examine our personal biases. Yeah, the step step three, re-examine personal biases. So they, they show up, he goes invisible, and that that, again, that whole chase sequence, if there's so much going on, totally different color palette, and... Dr. Octavius being this evil, beyond just, you know, the, oh, she's a woman now, the whole function of her arms and the appearance of them going from mechanical tubes to these weird squishy things is, it seems so much more to like, if someone came up with Doc Ock arms, they'd probably be weird pneumatic air tubes rather than mechanical functioning struts or whatever. (laughs) Like a whole, a metal arm would be the least flexible thing ever. You'd be stuck in specific patterns. But yeah, uh, my friends call me Liv. My enemies call me Doc Ock. That was sick. And it's still sick. Every <laughs> single time. The fourth time. Also, something I like about the movie, the humor throughout is always spot on. In this particular scene when he says, Good news, we don't need the monitor, and tosses it as they're running away with the computer from this this uh, workstation. Cracks me up every time. The first time I saw this movie, it did not connect to me that the Gwen in the lab was the same Gwen from the high school. Like, I thought it would end up being an evil Gwen. That's so dumb, but it didn't snap the first time. No, I mean... I can see that one with all the weird universe bending stuff. Yeah, that there'd be two for some reason. Just I'm the not first a, time? Yeah, just not this time. Oh, this yeah. time I was very aware. Gwen Stacy, the one and only. Speaking of Gwen, one thing that I always kind of thought, because like, they escaped the lab and then she saves them and now you got three spider people, right? I didn't like, and I still don't like, how her origin story, her loss was her friend Peter Parker... It always struck me as super like edgelord and we go, I don't I don't do friends anymore. And I don't know, just that seems so juvenile as a theme that it still kinda of makes me go like, ugh. <laughs> Anytime I see this movie, it's like I I just don't do friends anymore. It's like I bet you don't. That's real brooding of you. I mean at least all the other Spider Men are social or Well, they don't do uncles anymore. Yeah, they <laughs> <laughs> No more uncles. I'm not getting any new ones. Yeah. Don't do friends. They So, Super Edgelord introduction and they go to Aunt May's house for the rest of the cast. What is your favorite spider person? I think, well, Miles. Yeah. yeah. But I really like Peter Porker. John Mulaney oh. is a gem. <laughs> he is. I've, I, it always bummed me out that he didn't get, like, more screen time. He was just the butt of every joke. I think that's good, though, because I thought that Nick Cage, Spider-Man, and the 3142, the future spider Girl, Yeah, the anime. I thought they were both kind of annoying. What? Really? Yeah. uh, I think I just don't have the same emotional connection. And if I'm not going to have an emotional connection, you might as well be funny. And I think that's the purpose Peter Porker served. Right. But Nick Cage's black and white Spider-Man and the anime Spider-Girl did nothing for me besides being filler pieces. That's fair. I I viewed Peter Porker as way more of a filler piece than like the Nick Cage Spider-Man or the anime Spider-Man. I think the last three are all filler pieces. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, for sure. It'd be impossible to fit noir Spider-Man into the story at all. I think they were good for this movie. Yeah. I wouldn't take them out. No, it'd just be boring as hell then. Yeah, the purpose they served did not tickle me <laughs> in the way Peter Porker did. Yeah, so they they all show up. There's a There's a big gap of content between... That moment when he chokes and can't, when Miles chokes and can't do any of his powers, to when they all fight at Aunt May's house. Yeah. But I don't remember any of it. So, he's not as powerful as the other ones and they want to ditch him. And then he gets sad and leaves. Mm -hmm. And then they try to talk to him. And then they go back to Aunt May's house and fight. Mm, Yes. This is the third and a half time I've seen this movie. You should know this better than I do. Yeah, I should. I can't remember. We literally just watched it before we started recording. <laughs> That's fine. But Aunt May's house feels super bad for Aunt May because the fight, I forget about a lot. And it's super impressive. And her house gets wrecked. Yeah. the They had so many cool hero moments. Like the one that stands out, the Prowler had Miles pinned into a corner with a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Miles just kind of shoves the table and it sends... The whole situation, like, through the kitchen wall. And you're like, damn. Kind of take for granted. It's like when they're at the Alchemax lab and Miles punches a rock and says, that's new. You know, this massive burst of strength is is a great show of how Miles is not competent, but uh, capable. You know, he, he has all these powers, but he can't use them just yet. I think... This is when the Uncle Aaron scene happens. When mm-hmm. it's revealed. Not only is it Uncle Aaron. Well, that happens earlier. That happens in the time lapse that we forgot to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. He goes home and learns and then gets chased again. Oh. A lot of emotional stuff happens. And it's between two super cool fights. So it's okay to forget about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? It's an animated comic book movie. I want the pew pews, not the weep weep. <laughs> So, yeah. And then next up is the true, like, hey, you're not strong enough. He's stuck at the dorm. Viper strike me right now. He can't. So they tie him up. And then his dad comes to talk to him through the door wall. The the dorm door. And I, ah, that scene is so heart-wrenching because that dad is so understanding. And you knew he loved Miles the whole time. But the, I love you, you don't have to say it back. And something happened. Just, ugh. Yeah, that... It um, gets me. That, I just... This might be super obvious, but I just noticed that callback where he says, you don't have to say it back, though. Whereas earlier in the movie, he got on his police comm and says, you have to say it back. And fourth time, I just realized, (laughs) oh my god. It's coming from a real piece of understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even this minor side character, or not minor, but side character of his dad... Going through this journey of his own of acceptance and change and learning. It's really fantastic. But wouldn't it be so silly if instead of talking to Miles, he was talking to his roommate? Yeah. Just the completely no dialogue roommate of his just looking all confused. Dev is Miles. And then we go into the power-up sequence, which is my favorite power-up, you know, coming into his own type sequence of any movie that i can think of goes sam may's house she's waiting for him he spray paints his suit you know just in line with his character and what's up danger is playing in the background 
damn, this whole thing is phenomenal. Yeah, what's up, Danger? If you watch the commentary, you'll see that when he falls off the building, he gets up and he's like, I'm okay. Instead of doing the power drop. And mm-hmm. I'm really glad they made that change because this scene is so amplifying that it was mm-hmm. not an appropriate place for humor. So yeah, the, extend- the choice they made was right. <laughs> yeah, The extended universe version where they sh- like show the storyboard shots and everything. In addition to that, dropping off the building like, I'm okay. He also crashes into that semi-truck mm-hmm. and recovers from that. It's like, dang, that would just cut it completely to pieces, but... The, yeah, just showing that he's competent and capable is, is really good. And a super satisfying, phenomenal power-up sequence. That I really only had one major thing that I was very pleased with myself for noticing. In the final sequence, when he shows up, saves the day, he is going to put the goober up in this collider which is now going to destroy all of manhattan and to get up to the ceiling he does the same exact move that the original peter a parker does on the collider he like grabs a spinning part flies over and then spider webs onto it and slingshots up to the ceiling same exact steps as the original one and then afterwards, um, Peter B. Parker and Gwen are like, did you teach him that? Uh, and she's like, I didn't teach him that, and you didn't teach him that. But who taught? it was Peter A. Parker who taught him that. So it's still, you know, the the saga of all the Spider-Men living on in miles there. Really, I'm like, ah, great, great detail there. But, yeah, the, the whole final sequence is, again, great. Yeah, the, I I don't have really any negative things to say about this movie. But that, that last fight scene is probably what noir Spidey feels about coming into the Miles universe. So I'm stuck there with him, marveling at the color. Yeah, Just right. so happy. Oh my god. There's so many payoffs in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. It's a leap of faith. Like, ah. Oh, damn. Ah. Yeah. The, the hard knock talk where he's like, you don't know. You just have to take a leap of faith. And then coming back to the end, dropping him back into his universe. Really good stuff. Oh, also the Miles' dad coming to terms and telling him he can throw up his art at yeah. the police station and stuff. And Miles gets emotional. By that time, I was so invested in that whole thing. I'm like, I'm feeling it, you know? <laughs> the dad love is so strong. Strong dad love. Strong dad love. I, I, I don't have any other thoughts personally. Mm-hmm. If you have any on the final sequence, would love to hear them. The one where he's... He says anyone could wear the mask. So I call bullshit on that. Yeah. I could not wear the mask. No. I am far too out of shape. <laughs> you kind of need the powers <laughs> to, to, to do that. So maybe that's my one nitpick with the movie. Yeah. I mean, to, that is kind of preachy. Anyone can wear the mask. It's like, fuck. If you, you. gave me the mask, I would die very fast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for this mask and this burden. Uh, I'm going to go die now. Right. Do I have to move to New York if I get the mask? Yeah. What if someone in, like, Akron gets the mask? (laughs) That'd be a very boring Spider-Man movie. Uh, (laughs) Never never thought about that. There was that sequence in Homecoming where he was in the suburbs. It's like, wow, this is boring as shit. He's just sliding around and can't swing anywhere. He doesn't know what to do. Not anyone can get the mask. Five stars. Whoa. Just kidding. (laughs) My actual rating, I would say, I don't know, I could think of nitpicks, so I'm not going to give it a 10, but like 9, 
Nine and a half. Yeah, I'd say nine. Yeah. This is a nine a for me. Nine. Really good movie. Would definitely watch it again for a fifth time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, really like it. Great movie. Da-da-da, 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 da-da-da.